Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Anand Shahi. He is president at Bar Capital. We're going to talk to him about the work they're doing in cannabis, the investments they're making, really where they're seeing the industry going. We're going to talk to him on why they're even in the space of, of cannabis. Uh, interesting story and background there. Uh, and then we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on outside the U.S., Europe, Asia, uh, and, and um, really kind of looking at cannabis as a global market, which I think you know we're starting to do. It's starting to become a global market, and obviously, you know how the U.S. is going to participate in that or not participate in that, as the case may be, depending on how we get our act together. But I'm excited for the conversation. I'm excited to kind of learn what's going on on the investment side, what folks are seeing, what Anon is. Um, Kind of seeing out there and where the opportunities may be and, and what might be coming at us over the next uh, you know couple quarters, couple of years. With that, Anand, welcome to the program. Thank you, Bruce. Pleasure to be on the show. Really uh, love the content you uh, produce in the space and, and uh, highlight of uh, the key areas in, in the cannabis industry. Yeah, that was, well, it's my pleasure to have you on. 
so before we kind of dig in into kind of exactly what you're doing today and the, and the investments you're making, the companies you're working with, let's get a little bit of background. How did you get into cannabis? Tell us about Bar Capital. What's the backstory? Sure. How did I get into cannabis? That's a, that's a great question. You know, I, I reflect on that almost uh, kind of every day as, as I'm kind of now uh, neck deep in the space. Uh, yeah. But, but if, if I kind of rewind back, my, my career was in finance. I, I've, I've done a number of roles, everything from being a partner in, in, in managing assets on the wealth management side to being a senior analyst at a hedge fund and also managing risk in the institutional side. And, and throughout that career, I never imagined being in, in the cannabis space. It just would not cross my mind. But I was having lunch with my former boss from the hedge fund days who became a father figure and a close friend and, and, and now an investment partner. And this was in 2017. So, you know, in cannabis dog years, uh, a generation ago. And, and so he mentioned to me at lunch, that he was investing in cannabis and I almost fell out of my chair. I was yeah. so shocked that a you know traditional finance relationship I had was telling me that they're investing in, in cannabis. But but also I was very intrigued. He you know my, my former boss he, he's a visionary. He's uh, made quite a bit of a return on industries that were growing and, and kind of emerging. And so I started to then go, you know, all around the world to conferences, uh, everything from Canatech in, in Tel Aviv, Israel in 2018 to, you know, Zurich in Switzerland to the UK to all around the US where cannabis was happening, as well as, you know, Canada. And I started to, as I formed Bar Capital in 2018, started to invest in companies, but also focus on building a, a strong network, which which now consists of fund managers in the space, you know, large family offices that are investors in the space, many companies, many high net worth and ultra high net worth individuals, and really other service providers for the cannabis space. So I'm very excited to be in this space because of the kind of community that it, it has, and really just saw it as a great opportunity in a nascent industry to bring my own kind of background and institutional finance experience to help companies grow and develop into hopefully very sizable, impactful companies in the space. Yeah. I'm always curious for folks that are coming out of other industries. Uh, I think a lot of people kind of think about getting into cannabis and they, you know, they look and say, oh, it's just like agriculture or it's just like liquor or, you know, <laughs> some, you know, they, they make some analogy as, oh, it's got to be similar to that. And they kind of come into the space and then, and then they, you know, they get some a little reality check. I'm curious, what were you kind of expecting when you first started to get into cannabis and, and where, I guess, what were you able to leverage? Like what areas could you kind of media apply based on your background? And then what areas were like, oh, I thought I would be able to kind of think about it this way or it didn't work or this whole other area I didn't anticipate what what were some of the kind of surprises and, and learnings that you had coming into cannabis yeah that's a great question you know i was lucky that i entered the space with some guidance so because i knew certain investors in the space and, and a few people who were involved with operating cannabis companies they kind of brought me into their circles so it, it kind of grew organically from there and mm -hmm. and, and they had shared their notes and their thoughts on, on what the opportunities were in the cannabis space. So I kind of had a warm entry point, which was great. What I was surprised by is exactly what you were kind of pointing out. It, it, cannabis intersects with so many different industries that are established industries, everything from agriculture to kind of the life sciences side of things. And so I, I started to look at it from different perspective, but ultimately just got educated about 
how many different lives this plant can touch in so many different ways. And, and so that actually drove the purpose of Bar Capital. And I kind of say this so that people get it very clearly and kind of tangibly, but our purpose has become to make cannabis as common and culturally accepted as aspirin or alcohol. So, yeah. you know, that that is the one statement I can make to really explain to a new entrant or a existing cannabis industry participant kind of where our focus is in terms of being a cog in a small cog in the wheel of moving things to a place where anybody can look at cannabis and not think of, you know, potheads and, you know, yeah. bongs and all the those kind of references, but instead <laughs> look look at it um, as another another aspect of life where you can actually benefit from it and you can use it without having that kind of fear because you eventually people will know what has gone into producing and what the benefits, the specific benefits of those products are. Yeah. Then tell us a little bit about kind of your investment thesis or like what, what part of the industry you're focused on, what size of company, what looks like what you look for, you know, either in terms of, you know, industry or leadership team or, you know, what, what factors really kind of make a, an interesting deal for you? Yep. So the, the way we're formed is we are not a fund. You know, I have many friends in the fund space and I was thinking through how do we want to participate in the space. So we invest our own funds as well as kind of family and friends and, and other family offices that are within our network. And we are very deeply involved with the company. So, you know, I, I get pitched many companies every week, as, as many of us do in, that are yeah. in, in the space for some time. And so the, some of the key areas we look for are... A, the management team really has to be kind of clear and passionate about what they're trying to do. And they have to have some level of expertise in what they're trying to execute. So if you've got a brand company that doesn't have a experienced, you know, brand and marketing person on the team, well, either they need to find the right service providers to work with to, to get that up to par, or they have to have some tie-in because it's very hard for me to believe they can pull off the, the grueling battle that is to launch a company into success without having some deep connection with what they're trying to achieve. An another area we kind of focus on is you know, we, we are, do mostly picks and shovels, so we, we don't, don't mm -hmm. typically get involved with cultivation unless there is a turnaround opportunity and, and we think that we can help connect the dots on that front. But, but all of our companies, we plan on spending the next 10 years with, you know, and, and helping them grow and evolve until they go towards an exit. And, and if, even after exit, you know, continue connecting them to opportunities as they go forward. So our strategic network is key to looking at a deal. So we always kind of ask the question, can we help this company go from the post-seed, post-angel investment round that they've just done and get into that bridge and series A round and then hit that hockey stick moment? You know, are, are we able to connect them to the right opportunities, the right advisors, the right investors to really take them to the next level? Yeah. And as you've seen the industry develop, I guess, where do you see kind of the challenges in terms of, you know, growing uh, company, you know, scaling companies that may or be maybe kind of different or than other industries or unique to cannabis? What, what have you kind of noticed as being particularly kind of cannabis related business challenges around that growth process? A couple of key areas. One is it's tricky to enter the market if there's already a crowded space and really stand out. So I'll just randomly pick a, an area, CBD brands, 
right? So, mm-hmm. so CBD brands have ballooned in the last couple of years, partially because the cost of the raw material, the isolate or, or whatever the, the brand might mm-hmm. be using, has dropped significantly. And, and so new entrants can come in and establish yeah. a brand and open a Shopify account, et cetera. But if you want to win in that space, you need to have the right distribution you know, partners. And you know, so th- there is no clear winner there. The cannabis-specific problem becomes you know, ultimately capital. Access to capital is yeah. very difficult because we are not federally legal. And it is very difficult to bring people over the fence on whether they should invest in the space or not because of reputational risk and other factors, right? So if you are in a capital-starved industry for the time being until, you know, we we get closer to legalization and and then I think things will start changing rather fast, you, you have to be very focused on what your strategy is and and whether you have a viable kind of plan to make it through until there is some sort of legalization. The biggest mistake so far in cannabis has been timing. People get too excited that things are moving fast and, and that, that lasts about six months and then they are put into a reality check that it might take two years and not you know six months to really hit the timing that they needed to make uh, their, their business scalable and a success. Well, and, and let's talk a little bit about kind of timing or what's happened over the last, you know, I guess really two years now in terms of you know, just kind of the valuations and uh, how people have kind of looked at some of these businesses and trying to figure out how to establish, you know, some capital structures and stuff. I mean, we went through a, a big run-up, there was a big sell-off, then COVID hit, right? Like, we've got, a, got an interesting set of events. I mean, how, like, what's your kind of summary of how cannabis businesses, the cannabis industry has gone through kind of the valuations uh, and, and what's kind of fueled some of that stuff? Because we've seen some pretty dramatic changes to, to the valuation side. Yeah. So interestingly, you know, I think in some ways it's been very good to go through that down phase. And, and yeah, COVID was certainly challenging in terms of capital raising environment, but it, it helped the industry, yeah. you know, with with buzzwords like essential. And, and you know, th- <laughs> th- those concepts are, you know, well cemented in, into the public's um, oh, yeah. you know, mind. So it's been great on that front. I, I think ultimately valuations come down to, you know, investors don't mind paying higher valuation if the growth is there and and the clear path to you know growth is there and that's still the case and and so given the run up in the public securities more recently and and you know so most of them have come back down to kind of pre Georgia election times which i yeah. think is very interesting i think it's another buying opportunity on the public side but i think what's happened is people saw that they made uh, quite a few mistakes back in the kind of green rush period a couple of years back. And so they're much more cautious. Some people have kind of been kind of burnt because of the investments they made not doing well. And so they're not kind of expanding their portfolio. But I think the key is if you're in the subcategories of cannabis, you can um, look at different valuation levels. For example, the tech side, the the kind of SaaS platform, tech-enabled plays in cannabis, they did quite well in the last two years. If if they if there's companies that were able to get more market share, they're very well positioned for the next two years, and they mm-hmm. can command higher valuations because they also have a clear pathway to get interest from a SPAC or to you know have a some sort of a public exit event in the next uh, couple of years. Um, especially if they're raising money and and are acquisitive and and looking to buy more market share because those models just go deeper onto themselves in terms of profitability. If you own more market share, you can sell more services to your customers and therefore collect, you know, higher revenue, higher margin overall. 
So, so you know, valuation is always a kind of sensitive topic when I look at deals, and, and there's yeah. certainly companies that are still trying to get way above what their valuation could be justified at. But the other part is capital raising. I find it shocking how many companies come and say, we're raising $10 million, and then I say, for what? And, you know, <laughs> I, identify to me what you need $10 million for in your business currently to get to the next set of milestones that will raise your valuation, you know? Yeah. So sometimes it's a, a matter of having a conversation and saying, well, actually, you only need three or four million dollars to really transform your business and scale it up. And within the next 12 months, come back and raise the other, you know, six to seven million at a higher valuation. This is one that they always kind of surprised me or I found interesting with companies when they kind of go out early and they try to do a really big raise. And yeah, it's nice to put a whole bunch of money in the bank, but you're doing it at a low, you know, low valuation or a a not so advantageous valuation, right? So if you can wait and actually take the money later, your value is going to be higher. You're going to have to give up less equity for that same amount of money. You know, I always found that sort of a interesting dynamic for companies, particularly early stage, when they, you know, they they may be able to raise ten million, but do you need it? Yeah, and I think part of it is just the kind of fundraising in the startup phase. It's a lot about getting attention, investors' yeah. attention, and I think if companies feel the pressure of if we don't go out with a big raise with a big goal of how we're going to spend this money to become the number one dominant, you know, yeah. company in our space, then people aren't going to pay attention. And and so that could be true for certain groups of investors, but on the institutional side. I think a lot of folks look for quality business plans and, and they want to see some traction that you've actually validated your business kind of plan into actual sales or actual growth. And then it's all about, well, what's going to get you to the next key milestone that you know really makes your company compelling and how much capital you need and, and let's come up with a reasonable valuation based on what your sales or your you know EBITDA or your, your market share is going to be at that point. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious if you look out uh, next two or three years, you know, sort of the industry in general, you know, your portfolio company specifically, is there any common kind of challenges, hurdles, you know, things that are in the strategic plan that, you know, companies really need to figure out how they're going to navigate or, you know, deal with as, as you look at how cannabis is likely to play out? Yeah. So I have a few thoughts on that. One is that, so we, we look at companies globally. So we, we were actually networking into Europe about a year and a half ago because we expected more M&A to happen and that kind of even younger European cannabis industry to you know start developing faster. And so it's funny that a lot of the issues I see with US or Canadian companies are the same ones with the European companies and, and the same ones as I see now in Asian companies, which is you got to really focus on what the company is about. Not enough of these companies are really focused on how they are going to differentiate themselves and put themselves into positions that help them scale. A company should be able to open an office in, in the cannabis industry, especially since it's so fractured. Uh, yeah. If they have an office in California or the location in California, they should be able to take that DNA of what they're about and put it into Florida or put it into the UK. You know, it shouldn't be that different for most business types in the cannabis space. And I think what's what's key to how we look at the the space in the next few years is for the companies that can do that, that can transfer IP, obviously you can't ship THC from California into you know yeah. any, any other place. But if you can transfer what your company is about, what the vision is about, and what your IP is about 
into other geographies and start to get a head start uh, versus your competitors because they didn't think to do something like that. That's kind of where Bar Capital also gets involved because we're actively involved in you know moving brands that might be on the retail side in California into medicinal use in Europe, for example, or uh, looking at tech platforms and seeing if we can start carving out market share in other geographies outside of the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what... What are the big sort of non-U.S. markets right now for cannabis? I mean, you mentioned Europe, but what, as you look kind of globally, you know, what are the countries, what are the areas that you think are really going to become, you know, cannabis players over the next couple of years? We kind of call it the, the green triangle for the moment, for the next two years specifically, which is includes any geography within the triangle, but it's basically California, Germany, and Mexico. You know, if you, if you kind of draw a triangle in those three key uh, markets. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where a lot of our focus is. And then transitioning beyond that, we see opportunities in South America, especially in Brazil, where I've been chatting with some companies that are setting up distribution, as well as Asia uh, for the CBD side of things. Uh, we think it'll be a huge space. But right now, our main focus is in kind of the, the European market is, is actually less understood. And there's been some very big deals that have happened that are starting to kind of put a spotlight there, including GW Pharma. But yeah. Europe is is leading on the the kind of IP side of things. And there are still companies that are attractively valued in that market that are kind of perfect acquisition targets. And, And kind of in that theme of US is usually slow moving at first, but when it catches up, it catches up quite a bit. I think there will be a moment where as we get closer to legalization, America can really start to acquire key IP globally and and really build an industry that we are very far ahead leader in and our competitors like China just culturally would never be able to participate in. And, and you know, I'm writing an article currently, actually, which uh, if talks about American exceptionalism and returning to that through uh, leading this industry and using our expertise in creating brands as the kind of spear point in doing that. Yeah. And so Europe is a natural landing pad. You'll see deals like, you know, Cure Relief buying EMAC, a relatively small size deal. It, it, it's about 250 million or so that was announced a month and a half or a couple of months back from now. And so they're really companies putting footholds into Europe because they know that the recreational market, when it does come there, the population size in Europe is almost twice that of the U.S. So there's a huge potential and the illicit market there is already huge. So a lot of it is converting from the black market supply chain and and black market kind of product to the legal white market. And, uh, you know, that's kind of where the opportunity is. Don't just think local. The U.S. really needs to think globally and lead in this industry over the next couple of years and, and, you know, really focus on how to legalize properly and how to empower our companies to dominate globally in the cannabis space. Yeah. And and Europe, I mean, I guess is Europe part of what's fueling Europe, but the fact that they can do more research or how, like, why, why is Europe sort of going well right now in terms of the cannabis industry? A couple of reasons. One is, you know, they focused on their medicinal program and getting the quality and standards right. So mm-hmm. EU GMP certified is kind of the gold standard for the world. And you know, they, they do have the ability to do research. And so they have been building that out. And Epidiolex from GW Pharma is a $7.2 billion example of them being ahead in terms of research and application medicinally. And, and so that, that company, I think, is, is, you know, 20, 30 years old in, in, the, in the UK. It wasn't a, a new pop-up cannabis company, but they did the science properly and the quality 
needed for a pharma-grade product properly, and that's why they got the valuation they did when they were acquired. So, so yeah, Europe has lots of great scientists doing work in the space and is launching their kind of medicinal market quite well. And that will all translate very well into the recreational side because those standards will be, you know, more in place and more cemented. Yeah. And what do you think the U.S. needs to do to to be successful in, you know, competing with, really kind of taking its role in the future as really a powerhouse in the cannabis industry? What's on your kind of checklist for things we need to figure out, things we need to put in place, things we need to get right, be successful in that? Yeah, and that that's that's the key part is, you know, there there is politics involved here, obviously. But in terms of the population, most people are completely on board with legalizing cannabis. You know, this is not a 1980s kind of drug war, say no kind of situation. And a lot of it has to do with folks in the industry leading the charge. You you know, there's this stigma of, uh, you know, people talking about, you know, consuming cannabis versus consuming alcohol, for example. And there's so many, I I won't go into the the reasons um, why the alcohol industry might be nervous about cannabis, but ultimately the regulators here need to understand this is the one of the key drivers for job growth and tax revenue growth that we can ever imagine. And so from a, f- a fiscal perspective, it's very golden. But it goes way beyond that. We need to change perception about cannabis uh, globally by leading here in the U.S. And, and so that begins with educating people about what exactly cannabis is and, and what forms are safe and, and beneficial for people to take and at what levels it is not beneficial. And and so, yeah. you know, there's not enough research and data. So, so opening up the ability for more universities to get higher quality samples of cannabis and and be able to do actual quality research on that is a key part of it. But, you know, of course, the U.S. is very much kind of sloppy in how they get somewhere. But once they get get to that place, we, <laughs> we, we kind of dominate. So, you know, COVID vaccines being an example of that, right? You know, we, we now have an oversupply situation, partly because people don't want to take exactly. it. <laughs> yeah. But but still, we, we kind of caught up on the production side and we have it available for those who do want to take it. So So I think in the cannabis front, the key is how we go about implementing the regulatory reform needed. And so safe banking, I think, has a very good chance of passing and I think is one of the bigger dominoes that needs to fall. As banking opens up and and becomes more available for cannabis companies, I think it will help spur more growth, more tax revenue, and more business that banks want to do with the cannabis industry, which is a great lobby to have on our side. But the biggest roadblock is people overdoing the regulatory side and adding too much control in there from the government side because then we'll end up like canada and and canada got too involved yeah overregulated market and that does not sit well with what is the specialty of the usa which is creating brands and then empowering them to you know dominate globally and and so we can definitely do that on the cannabis front if we are sensible about how we roll things out we don't need to push legalization too fast i keep telling people you know it would be great but if you push it too fast there's chances of screwing it up as well in in major ways. So I'm much more for a path that shows we're headed towards legalization, but doesn't mean, you know, legalization happens by 2022. Yeah. I'm curious as an investor, how how do you look at some of the social equity side of things in terms of, you know, how the programs are set up, you know, what companies are getting funded, you know, who's founding these companies, who's ultimately acquiring these companies, you know, managing, operating. I mean, how does this, how does this frame from an investment point of view, 
you know, when you look at social equity and social justice and, you know, making sure that we have, you know, well-represented programs of, you know, the culture at large. Yeah, great point. Bar Capital is very much focused on the social equity piece of things. I'll give a, a, a simple example. So Bar Capital is partnered with a community of investors and companies and fund managers called 361 Firm. And we host events together in particular to educate people about what's happening in the cannabis space. And so we, we select panelists and, and, and you know figure out what is the right way to provide the information to our audience, which happens to be mostly investors looking into cannabis, whether they're first-time investors or existing investors. And we had a panel of all white guys, uh, yeah. you know, to, to be frank. And, and so we were so embarrassed to even put that out there that we then worked for a week on reaching out to every community member we could, in particular to, to find women and, and minorities to be on the panel. And the quality of the folks that we ended up finding was so high and it was, yeah. it was so educational for the audience that, you know, it, it really highlighted for us, and I'm, I'm a minority, right? Uh, yeah. It really highlighted for us that it's all about actual effort put into it because it's not by default. And and so where the rubber meets the road on social justice and, and getting uh, some of these companies funded and to be made successful is, is a key focus of ours because um, I think legalization will depend on that issue. Uh, legalization is not going to happen just for the money aspect of what we're trying to do. It's really going to happen from making sure that we properly use some of those tax revenues and, and assist the, the communities that were impacted negatively and help them really grow in really powerful ways and shape the industry going forward. Yeah, this has been great. If people want to find out more about you, more about Bar Capital, what's the best way to get that information? Uh, they can visit www.barcapital.com, B-A-R-C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. And they can also visit 361firm, 361firm.app uh, for the app. Uh, and then uh, we have a cannabis group on that, on that platform as well, where we frequently f- post updates and uh, information. I'll make sure the links are in the show notes here. Anand, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Time flew by. I appreciate you having me on, Bruce, and would love to continue the conversation in uh, a number of ways. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, Download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.